When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 533 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I am Jason Evans, here for your listening pleasure. No emergency sirens this time. We are calm. We've had a couple days to digest Duke's uh, victory. Not just a victory, beatdown. What the heck? We're going to call it a beatdown. We beat down the Clemson Tigers in football just a couple days ago, and you probably heard from us uh, immediately following that game. This is a more calm and reserved, so to speak, edition of the podcast today i am joined by donald wine donald you coming off that high a little bit no this is great i'm going to stay <laughs> on this all week also for me you know tomorrow is the start of uh we we're recording on wednesday uh this week but the start of the football season is tomorrow night my lions are involved in that so this high is just going to go at least until that game and if, if for some reason the lions decide to do something good then y'all may not need y'all, y'all may need to see me um in the streets because i'm gonna be i'm gonna be out there all right so let's let's stay on that topic just for a moment we'll be we'll continue with the clemson game we gave you all a lot of our initial reaction to it and by the way if you haven't listened to episode 532 which was recorded as i said literally seconds after that game ended in fact i'll freely admit that i had I had my uh, my Zoom meeting that, that we do th- these recordings in. I had it open even before the game was over. I was like, guys, come and join me now. <laughs> we're we're doing this right away. My my best friend said that we were giddy on that episode. And oh, yeah. that is a fair that was a fair assessment. We were very giddy on that episode. Right. But as I said, we'll we'll continue to digest it here. And Donald, I will I'd like to do it this way. I, I want one big thing. I want one major takeaway from this game for you. We don't need to get into all the details again. Don't need to name all the players who had incredible games. They had incredible games. But give me give me your one big takeaway from that victory over Clemson. Uh, my best friend pointed this out to me earlier. And, you know, this is something that I kind of mentioned and hinted at on the last show when we were in our giddy state. Uh, if Clemson doesn't make any of their goal line fumbles, so they, like, take those and they score touchdowns, and they make both of the miss of the field goals that we blocked. So if they get all those points, it's still 28-27 a Duke victory. Like that's how bad we beat them. Like the the narrative has been, you know, even in the polls, right? We'll, we'll talk about the polls in a little bit, but like even in the polls, 
it was more about what Clemson lost and how bad Clemson looked. And everyone was pointing at that. Everyone needs to understand that Duke played a terrific game. Was it perfect? No, but they played a terrific game against a really good program in Clemson. And Clemson didn't lose that game. Duke won that game and they, and they won handily. And that is, should be the takeaway that we think about as we move forward is that that's why I'm still so, you know, on this high is that, yo, we played the number nine team in the country, a two-time national championship in the last couple of, you know, six or seven years. And we blasted them. And I think that is, you know, that should be part of this story moving forward and not just the fact that Clemson looked terrible or whatever you want to call it relative to expectations. Maybe people were underrating Duke at the same time they were overrating the Clemson Tigers. Yeah. And, and and to play off of what you just said there before I get to my one thing, which isn't as yours is better. I'm glad, I'm glad you went for it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But to play off of what you just said there, it's, it's almost like I've read some of those takes that, Oh, you know, this is the end of the Clemson empire. And, uh, and and uh, you know people who aren't really saying this was a duke win as much as they're saying it was a clemson loss i i heartily object to that characterization of this game that is just not accurate at all anyone who saw this game should know otherwise uh, look as you said duke didn't play it's not like duke played the perfect game to beat clemson 28 to 7 we we had two terrible turnovers of our own that took points off the board each of them took points off the board, no question about it. Duke had a number of penalties that I don't think you're going to see Duke commit going forward. They, they, they were, you know, they were clear, like, early game jitters. I, we had two key offsides penalties, two procedure penalties called on wide receivers. Uh, Donald, I, I I will I will comfortably make a wager with anyone who wants to that Duke won't have two more wide receiver, wide receiver procedure penalties like that the rest of the year. That's just a really rare thing for, mm-hmm. for wide receivers to do, especially guys like the ones we have at Duke who are very, very experienced. So yeah, this, this was not like Clemson played horrible and Duke got incredibly lucky. I, I think frankly, neither team played their best game. Not even, you know, I mean, obviously Clemson did it, but Duke, it, this, this was not a fluke result at all. And, and again, as you point out, if those, turnovers and and missed kicks and stuff like that actually turned into points duke would duke would have won anyway like and again just like you mentioned we didn't play the perfect game we still blasted them right what happens if we did play the perfect game so that should tell people that hey this two this duke team like you said it wasn't a fluke this duke team is serious about theirs and and mike elko and the coaching staff and the players have all dialed in for this season and Yo, like, I mean, the the I think the funny takes after the game were, you know, everyone's saying, oh, Duke's become a football school. And like, I think one of the uh, old basketball players, the, the former basketball players was like tweeting at John Shire, like, yo, what are we, we going to do about this coach? We're a football school now. What's going on? Um, I also want to make a quick funny highlight. Did you see the um, uh, the video of uh, Riley Leonard asking his professor oh, for an yes. extension on his homework and Professor Connery like, Hey man, the rest of your team turned it on time, so I can't, I can't, <laughs> can't give you the extension. Hey, that's that's Duke football for you. Sometimes, you know what? You're you're not gonna get the extension on your paper because we treat everyone the same at Duke University. That's what's up. Yeah, I, I, that was hysterical, by the way. And uh, I, I mean, you know, the best part about it was it it so clearly sends the message like Duke is not one of these athletic football factories where where you know at most schools the 
the you probably would have seen the professor being like, you've got an automatic A, ha, 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 ha. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Duke, the professor was like, oh, sorry, Riley, but your linemen all turned in their homework on time. You're getting docked a grade. And it's it's worth noting, Riley Leonard was an ACC academic, all, all academic team. Riley Leonard is a very, very good student. Um, if he does get docked a little bit for, for that paper, I'm sure he's still going to do just fine, fine. Yeah. in that class. Yeah, exactly. And uh, And actually, Riley Leonard, you know, not to say he doesn't need to worry about his grades, but uh, he's going to be playing on Sundays. Uh, at least that's the expectation that he's uh, the NFL is very, looking very hard at Riley Leonard as a as a draft pick. So I don't know that he needs to worry about one uh, w- one paper. I forget what what professor he what what class it was in, but it was uh, uh, yeah. I think it was public policy. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So uh, I, in any event, I want to get to my one thing. And as I said, I think yours was better. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I, I think that as much as everyone talked about Riley Leonard's performance and as much as we focus on offense, the thing that impressed me the most in the game was the Duke defense. Uh, You know, obviously it's easy to point out that Clemson only scored seven points against Duke, which is a really, really poor offensive effort. But I I, I do want to note that I thought the Duke defense was more than up to the task. As you said, it wasn't just those turnovers that prevented Clemson from winning. Cade Klubnick, who looked befuddled most of the game, uh, the the Clemson quarterback. Last year, he played North Carolina in the ACC championship game and just destroyed them. He was 20 of 24 against UNC for almost 300 yards. He then played Tennessee in, in the Orange Bowl and went for more than 300 yards passing. This is a guy who's a really, you know, he has a great pedigree, and I think he's going to be a very good quarterback. And... Uh, Duke made him look pedestrian. He averaged barely five yards per um, uh, per per throw per per pass play, which is not a good number. And I was incredibly impressed. The Duke, the Duke secondary, man, those guys really came to play. There, we did not see Clemson wide receivers getting wide open all the time. Uh, a lot of what Cade Klubnik had to do was drop balls off to his running backs and to his secondary kind of choices because Duke did such a good job of covering guys on the perimeter. And and I think, you know, again, it's it's easy to get caught up in in Riley Leonard and, you know, Jordan Waters had that really impressive run. This is this is a Duke team that's going to put points on the board. But I'm telling you, I think that this team and and this this is Mike Elko's reputation. Mike Elko is a defensive coach. He's known as a a, a guy who Get, makes great defenses. I think teams are going to struggle, really struggle to score against this Duke team. And I, 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 I've rewatched portions of that game, and as I watch it, I'm just continually impressed at at the performance of the Duke defense. And you know, Jason, there, you know, you were talking about Kate Klubnik, but you know, we talked a little bit on the last show about Will Shipley, and you know, he had 114 yards on 17 carries. Phil uh, Maffa uh, went 76 yards. They had a lot of rece- uh, rushing yards. Kate Klubnick even went for 52. And it felt like the big plays, any big plays they had came from the run, but they weren't that backbreaking, right? Like, yeah, they got a couple of first downs. You moved the chains a lot, but there was a point where it was, yo, like the only, like anytime they were throwing the ball, we were making the play. Anytime they were inside the red zone, we were making the play. And I think the great thing about defense is, yeah, it was a kind of a bend but don't break mentality. The only possession that Clemson scored on was when we muffed a punt at our own 18-yard line. 
and they had, yep. you know, very short field. And even then it still took a few plays for them to get in. It's not like they just, you know, marched right in. So it's, it's one of those things where the defense really showed that they could bend, maybe, t- you know, accept a few yards here and there. But when it came time to really just hold firm, they made the plays that counted. And that's not always been the case of Duke football. A lot of times, I mean, we, we talked about a couple years ago where like it seemed like every single third down ever, we would always end up with a first down, right? We'd always end up giving up a big play and it'd always be that backbreaking momentum. We didn't have that on Monday night. Every single time there was a point where there was a pivotal moment, it felt like every single 50-50 moment went our way. And again, we won't have that every week, but it was great to have it on Monday night. Well, and speaking of Will Shipley and uh, Phil Maffa, the, the the Clemson running backs, Will Shipley, by the way, one of the best running backs in all of college football. He has shown that over his entire career, uh, you know, and an a- absolutely elite runner. It, it is worth noting, you know, I was talking about the defense, but I was really talking mostly about the secondary. When when Will Shipley would get past the Duke line and and, you know, rip off what looked like it could be a significant run, the Duke secondary, the linebackers, and especially the safeties and cornerbacks were all over him very quickly. And he was not able to to rip off any of those, you know, really huge runs. Uh, Phil Maffa had one where he went for 49 yards. But other than that, Clemson Clemson was mostly grinding it out to a large extent. They're, they're a really good rushing team. Make no mistake about it. They rushed for 200 yards against Duke. and uh, But I think there are going to be very, very few teams in college football that will be able to do something similar against the, this, these Blue Devils. And uh, again, I just came away incredibly impressed with that that uh, especially the the defensive backfield. Hey, let's move on really quick because we want to look ahead. We're not just looking back. We're looking to the future. And that future is Lafayette. Donald, by the way, do you know what Lafayette's nickname is? The Leopards. Yes, the Lafayette Leopards. I love that. I think that's a great name, by the way, not just the alliteration. I just like, you know, I feel like, you know, we get, get, you get a lot of tigers, you get a lot of bulldogs. There are a lot of names that, um, uh, that seem very common. I don't feel like there are a lot of leopards out there. I'm sure someone will write to us and tell me another leopards, but uh, I, I I love the Lafayette leopards. I think that's a great name, but they are not a great college football team. <laughs> uh, this is an FCS opponent. This is not someone uh, you know who's eligible to go to bowls. They they also probably it, it's fairly likely Lafayette won't win enough games. To, if they were uh, up at this level, they wouldn't win enough games to get to a bowl either. I don't want to demean them too much, but I I, I point that out to point out that that this is not a school that's expected to be able to compete with a school like Duke. And Donald, I want to start the preview by mentioning this. I wanted to look and see, I was like, Oh, I wonder what Lafayette has done against, you know, power five teams like Duke. So I checked last year and just last year, Lafayette played temple, which is a good comp for Duke. Um, Not in terms of the quality of the teams, but it's a team we know you may recall last year, the very first game of Mike Elko's tenure at Duke, we played Temple. The Blue Devils played Temple. We beat them 30 to nothing. An absolute beatdown. And it was the beginning of the Mike Elko era in Durham. And we were really excited about that. Well, Temple, right after getting crushed by Duke, turned around and played Lafayette. And they beat them 30 to 14. Temple beat Lafayette very, very convincingly. In fact, in that game, Lafayette only had about 100 yards of offense. You know, not good. And that Temple team, Temple's been okay in the past. They've had years where they've been good. But last year was not a good year for Temple, as evidenced by the fact that Duke crushed them 30 to nothing. So I went, okay, well, Lafayette played Temple last year. They they got beat fairly badly. I'm like, I wonder if there are other 
Like, have they played a Power 5 team? Because Temple's not a Power 5 conference. I looked. I kept on looking. I kept on going back. I'm scrolling through seasons and seasons. I went back 20-plus years. Lafayette has not played a Power 5 conference team in more than 20. I can't tell you the last time because I looked for 20-plus years, and I didn't get to one. <laughs> they just have not played a team the quality of Duke. And, and part of that is... I, I look to see, you know, oh, what, you know, what are their recruiting classes like and the such? Man, Lafayette occasionally, occasionally like once or twice a year will bring in like a two-star recruit. But for the most part, they are, they're just not bringing in the caliber of high school player that you would have at a, at a school like Duke. And as a result, I think the odds are very good that we are going to, we're just going to be too athletic too fast, too big, uh, and and I would expect this to be. Look, I, the the Vegas line is not out yet. For some reason, Vegas is taking its time putting out a line in this game. I'll be shocked if the line's less than thirty points. So, I, I I'm going to temper some of the 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 optimism here just as just just a tad for a second, right? So I do want to look back at what Lafayette has done this year. Uh, at least this season, they're one to know in the season, they beat sacred heart last week. And I do want to point out two things that I think were very interesting stat lines. One, uh, Jamar Curtis, their running back 181 yards on 19 carries and a touchdown. I think that was pretty good. Uh, you, you don't get a lot of guys getting going for close to 200 uh, on the ground in their first week of the season. The other one on the other side is their passing game, which was very much non-existent. Uh, Ryan Schuster is their starting quarterback he had 40 yards passing in total. When you bring in the other guy that they had uh, off the bench, they had a total of 69 yards passing. Now, normally that number is nice, but when you, but you, it's not nice when you're talking about four quarters of football and throwing the ball downfield. You want the, you want to have a team that's going downfield in a hurry. And 69 yards is, we, we had 69 yards, I believe, on one possession or one possession of the football the other night. So for me, Jason, the one thing that I think we need to figure out and, and we will get this test on Saturday is I want to see us avoid the trap. We joked at the end of the show the other week, other day that this was a trap game. And it very much is because, again, just like you said, there's no reason why we shouldn't win this football game. But we also have the air of we, we have we have a number attached to our name now. We're 21st in the AP poll. We're 24th in the coaches poll. And we need to go out and play on a mission to say, hey, we earned that. That's not just a fluke, you know, game. We are one of the top 25 teams in this in this country. And they need to understand that every week now they have to play like it. Yes, they may, they're they going to play better opponents than the Lafayette Leopards. But this weekend, they just got to focus on Lafayette and make it where this is a game that is over very quickly. We've played these FCS opponents before, you know probably not on the you know the on, on the lower scale i mean we've played some pretty good fcs teams in the past and beaten them handily but we need to go out and immediately go hey duke football is not going to fall for this we're going to go out and we're going to pummel our opponent and make it where we can you know try some things and, and get to a point where in the third quarter we can bring on some players get some experience and start preparing for the next week but we need to go out and take care of business and i'm hoping we do that on saturday yeah, by the way, uh, Jeff Sagarin's computer rankings, uh, as you indicate, there are some of these of these teams that are FCS opponents who are pretty good. You know, they're every bit as good as, you know, a, a sort of 
middle tier um uh team in uh you know in in the FBS the football bowl subdivision uh but but Lafayette is most assuredly not one of them Jeff Sagarin's computer rankings say that the Lafayette Leopards are the number 228th team in all of division 1 football that's that's not good 228th in fact Sagarin's computer says that Duke should win by 40 points that's a that's a big number <laughs> and ESPN's computers say that uh, Duke is a 99% chance to win this game. I I think you're absolutely right that it, this game is about this game is about Duke showing that that number next to their name means something. It's about I think the team probably wants to I I really want to see the team clean up a little bit of the stuff along the offensive line. I mean Lafayette is not an opponent that that should be difficult for us in terms of their size and athleticism but but I'd say, you know, if there was one takeaway from the game that I had some concerns about, it was the offensive line, mostly because we we did. Ha- I mentioned we had some procedure penalties, but some of them were on the offensive line. And and also Clemson did a very good job of pressuring Riley Leonard. I want Riley Leonard to have a lot of time to make plays in this game against Lafayette. Uh, to me, that's the biggest place I want to see uh, improvement from the Blue Devils. Uh, and in a game that I think it's fairly likely that, you know, it'll be clear by halftime that this won't be very competitive. And Jason, another thing, again, you know, not to throw cold water over what you just said, but another thing to kind of keep us level-headed as we go on, like, I mean, look, even Riley Leonard has his mom tell him that he sucks before every game because he needs that in his mind. So I'm going to give the the you suck portion of this. It's always easy to play when the lights are upon you, you rise to the occasion when everyone's watching. This is going to be a game that has far fewer people watching than we had on Monday night when it was the only game in town, the only game on the schedule for all of America to watch. Now that there's they're in the middle of the season with a hundred football games, this one's probably going to be on what ESPN three or, you know, not ACC network extra or something. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's against a team on regular television. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not, it's not on a, it's not against an opponent where people recognize them. Again, you asked me what the, what, you know, what the Lafayette lepers were like, this is going to be something where, again, nobody's watching. Can you put out the same performance? And it's, again, it's always easier when you know people are watching to put on a show. But can you put on a show when you know that nobody is watching? That's the question for the Duke Blue Devils on Saturday. Again, I hope they rise to the occasion and say, hey, it does not matter if there's 2 million people watching or 25. We're going to play Duke football and we're going to win. Yeah, you know, and last thing really, really quick, and we've spent more time on this game than we probably need to, but I really, I would love to see Wally Wade full again. We had more than 31,000 people who came out to Wally Wade for the Clemson game. I don't, I don't for a moment expect that we'll have 31,000 people to show up for the, for a game against Lafayette, but I'd like for that stadium to, to be rocking the way it was on Monday, on Saturday, even against a bad opponent. If the if you are listening to this podcast and you're within driving distance of uh, of Wally White Stadium of Durham, North Carolina, I really hope you come out and watch the team because one of the key things for Duke football is boosting interest in the team and boosting attendance and boosting TV ratings and all that other kind of stuff. Those are the ways that Duke football sort of reaches the next level. In addition to winning games, winning games matters as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but but uh, you know all those people who went out there and had a great time watching us beat the Clemson Tigers. I hope they come out and have a great time watching us beat Lafayette. I agree. I agree. Get out, get out to Wallace Way Stadium if you can. 
or watched on on whatever you know ACC, ACC network, network extra. extra. Yeah, yeah. It, find 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 your check your local listings as they as we used to say back in the day, <laughs> uh, and let's let's get let's get behind Duke football. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, something we have not really addressed yet, an existential change in the ACC, which is now the All-Coast Conference, I guess. That story when we return. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down and for some getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about that's what better help is all about it's entirely online and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient flexible and suited to your schedule you just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime you want so if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. All right, we are back from the break, Donald and I, and we are here to talk a little bit about ACC expansion. If you've been hiding under a rock, you may not have heard that last week the ACC decided that it will be adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU to the conference. We will no longer be the Atlantic Coast Conference. We will now have teams in the conference who reside most assuredly on the Pacific coast, not the Atlantic coast. Uh, we will also have a team that I think is probably closer to the Gulf of Mexico than it is to the, to the Atlantic coast. Wait, Donald, Jason, yeah. Jason, did you see, did you see the map that, that we drew? Um, they basically redrew the map around San Francisco Bay and just renamed that little portion of water, the Atlantic ocean. So that it, counts. there you go. So um, SMU, I, I don't have an explanation for SMU They're You know, that's, that's not close to water. Um, I mean, it's not close right. to, it's, it's not, it's, it's in Dallas, Dallas, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, taking aside the, the, the silliness of the names, uh, it, this is a huge change for, for the conference. And there've been a million takes I've read out there of people who are in favor of it and people who think it was a terrible decision. Uh, Donald, I'll, I'll ask you, first of all, what what's your takeaway on this? Was this the right move for the ACC, or should they have just stood pat and done nothing? Yes, there's there's no there's it's a complex answer. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yes, yeah, a complex answer. I, I want to start with the Cal and Stanford portion of it very very briefly. I think there there's a there's a world right. You can sell 
that Cal and Stanford on some levels makes sense. It it helps. It's a it, it you know when it comes to expansion and this you know everything driving around money and getting as many you know big time programs or big time universities under the same umbrella. Cal and Stanford are names. Everyone knows who Cal and Stanford is. Cal does not have to go by the University of California. They you can you say Cal and everyone knows who you're talking about. Everyone says Stanford. They know who you're talking about. Stanford arguably is the best athletic program in the country. And, you know, when no, it comes dude, to like, not arguably the, just period end of story period. We're, yeah, we're like, talking all sports. We're talking mm-hmm. at Olympic sports. Stanford is the standard bearer for every, in fact, it, uh, it just a quick side tangent here. But mm-hmm. I want folks to understand this. There, there are people in the sort of Olympic sports world, you know, rowing, volleyball, you know, we're not talking about the big sports, the glamour sports everyone watches, but there are folks who are involved in, in that arena who say Stanford had to be saved. Some some conference had to take Stanford. Otherwise, the United States would never compete for like, you know, top Gold medals medal yeah. count in the Olympics ever again. That That's how important Stanford is as a feeder system to the U.S. Olympic program. So, yeah, yeah they, they are a truly, truly elite athletic program in totality yeah all those non-revenue sports that they do and again they've they've even had their their days where they've been great at basketball they've been great at women's basketball they've been recently they've been great at football recently so they've yes. had they hit all those marks so i can have a world where i can say hey them joining the acc makes a lot of sense it adds to our as to the conference's profile it makes people go oh okay yeah that's that's cool smu makes no sense to me um, I don't know SMU in my mind. Look, my my dad and my brother live in Fort Worth, which is right next to Dallas, which is where SMU is. I would tell you, I get better ratings on TV in Dallas than SMU football does. And that's not like it, some people may say that's hyperbole, but it's very, very close. My dad sees me on TV quite a bit during these soccer games, way more than he'll see. SMU football on TV, <laughs> even on highlights on local TV. Like this is the thing. Like you know, remember we were talking about back in the day. The the last round of of expansion was highlighted around like TV markets and getting TV markets involved. The only thing that I can see that makes sense for SMU is that it opens up Texas as a recruiting market uh, for the ACC. Which I mean, it already was. We were already getting you know talent from from Texas, but at least makes it where you know. Duke and, and Carolina and all these schools are involved in it. For me, it also makes sense because if Duke plays SMU on the road, I can go down and I have a free place to stay. But other than that, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The final thing, the reason why I think that addition doesn't really make any sense is because it doesn't stop Clemson and Florida State and UNC and even NC State who eventually voted for this and that's how it got across the finish line. It doesn't stop these these schools from thinking about leaving the ACC. This is not a, a stopgap measure or something where they go, oh, well, we got these teams in. All right, cool. We're we're back in. We're we're fully committed. They're still examining their options, and they you know we had to do this whole convoluted plan with revenue just to appease them, and they still aren't satisfied. So if that's the case, then that's why I say it's a complex answer. Yeah, it surely probably did help the conference, but it also didn't help the conference at the same time. So I'll argue on the other side, and and I want to start by saying I agree with your initial answer of yes, which was sort of the the non-answer. I can see the pluses and I can see the minuses. Uh, 
the the big plus though that has not that we haven't really spoken about is the money. SMU is coming into the ACC and is taking zero broadcast dollars, no TV money for I believe it's the first seven years that they're in the league. That's a long time, and and the ACC by the way will get around thirty million dollars from ESPN as part of our contract for having added SMU. That's thirty million dollars a year that the conference gets, none of which goes to SMU. And the deals that we have with Stanford and Cal, they're both taking about a 30% share. So they're going to take about $10 million each. And the other $20 million is going to go into this pot that makes the rest of the ACC richer and stronger. And they're, you know, we haven't heard the exact way that they're going to divide up that money. Uh, some of it is going to be allocated to, to pay for schools to, to take the trips they're going to have to take. To, to places like SMU, uh, SMU and Stanford and Cal, which are, you know, significant road trips. But, and, and, and we've also heard that it's fairly likely that part of it is going to be allocated on a performance basis, which, which is good for Duke. Duke football is ascending. Duke basketball remains the top program in the conference. If you're going to do a performance-based metric for uh, proportioning extra money, that's going to be very good for the Duke program right now. The, these are good years for Duke to be getting performance-based bonuses. So part of it's going to be be that, but the bottom line is bringing in that extra revenue matters. And there's another reason that that revenue matters, which is that the ACC's contract with ESPN has a very specific clause that says the ACC must have a certain number of teams. I want to say the number was 14. 14. Yes. And if, so for example, if Florida State and Clemson decided to leave the conference ESPN's contract with the ACC would immediately be null and void. And that would have been a major threat to the rest of the league because frankly, those, those, the reason the PAC 12 fell apart, the reason the PAC 12 will not exist a year from now is because their con their TV contract expired and they went out to negotiate a new one and they couldn't get one that made sense to the league. So what the ACC did was they added buffer. That's what these three schools are. If you're wondering why SMU, it's that SMU doesn't cost a penny for the ACC to add them, but they bring in a buffer. And if for some reason schools at some point in the next few years decide they want to leave the ACC, decide that they're going to, you know, that they're going to pay some penalty through the, through the grant of rights to get out, this gives the ACC a buffer to keep that ESPN contract going. Because I'll tell you something, Donald, the one certainty in broadcast sports, in broadcast period right now, the only certainty is no one knows what the future holds. And, you know, the way streaming, the way uh, what they call over the top, you know, direct to consumer kind of stuff. There are mm -hmm. just a million different ways that the the sports broadcast and the broadcast world in general has shifted in just the past like three to five years. Hey, the they're ACC's even talking about they're even talking about the you know ESPN basically spinning off from the rest of cable and having their own standalone yep. thing. And again, that could you know that can change how we even consume it because it will cost you know I mean as everyone knows like the majority of cable fees are in the form of like subscriber fees to some of these channels of which a lot of it is dictated by the ESPNs and Foxes of the world and. The problem with that is 
yeah, it could reduce your cable bill, but to watch your games is going to cost you more because you're doing it. Everyone's going to have to do it essentially a la carte compared to the rest of their cable, which is making all of these different streaming services, making that more than cable. So like, there's a lot of things going into it, Jason, but also at the same time, it's the money is there now and people are taking the money now as opposed to what could be, you know, a few years from now if they stand pat. And I, and I get that part of the, of the whole equation. Yeah. And, and it's worth noting uh, there, there are Duke fans out there. Folks who are listening to this who, who had trouble or maybe were unable to watch Duke's game against Clemson because uh spectrum cable is in a huge fight with ESPN with Disney right now. The fight is mostly over ESPN and how much spectrum has to pay for ESPN on their cable bundles. Uh, whether or not ESPN and the other Disney networks are automatically included. You know, like one of the things about the cable, your cable bill is like the basic, the the lowest plan you can get already includes ESPN. And one of the things Spectrum wants to do is they, they said to Disney, they went, hey, could we maybe do a plan where it doesn't include ESPN? And Disney was like, no, <laughs> we're uh, uh, new. So there are people out there who are not sports fans who don't realize maybe that they're paying 10 bucks plus per month so that the rest of us can watch ESPN. Now, granted, we're paying money so that they can watch National Geographic or whatever else that, you know, some other channel, uh, you know, the Shop at Home Network or uh, a million different ones that, you know, we're all subsidizing each other in different ways. But the biggest subsidy is the sports fans and ESPN. But uh, the bottom line is the point I'm making is we are we are probably at an inflection moment right now. This battle between Spectrum and ESPN and Disney is is a huge moment in the cable industry. It is shifting. It is changing. And I think for the ACC, making sure that we hold on to that contract with ESPN at this moment of weird inflection is really important. And adding these teams was essential to keeping that contract in place. So, Jason, I want to shift back to the logistics part of things, because I know you, you had mentioned briefly the logistics you know add to the complexity sure. there is at least some simple solutions at least for the uh, for, forget the the revenue sports for a minute forget football and men's basketball all the other ones there are some ways for them to kind of cut down on costs the great thing about the two of the additions is that cal and stanford are both in the san francisco bay area so yep. you could you know for example baseball they do series and they like to go out for a weekend and play the same team three times, but they could go out for a week. Uh, you know, Duke baseball could fly out to San Francisco for a week and play Cal for three games and play Stanford for three games and then come home. Vice versa, Cal and Stanford could come to Carolina for fencing and have a fencing tournament in Durham and have all, you know, all the tobacco road teams show up and make it where they can take care of those teams at the same time. We have some teams that are in bundles, the Virginia, Virginia tech, you know, Miami, Florida State, even like you can get kind of simplify it that way. But I think the logistics are going to be the most complex thing that faces this conference, because like you said, you know, people are going to have to travel everywhere. And in most of these teams, they're not flying charter. And that's the big deal is that they're right. at the whim of a of a, you know, air support infrastructure grid that has been failing quite a bit lately, especially around holiday seasons, which, yes, is when a lot of college teams like to play uh, their their various disciplines. So it, that is going to be something that the conference is going to have to be on top of. They honestly should be hiring people to deal with that full time. If they, I mean, I know they have a couple already, but they need to hire more 
because the added logistics of that. And then of course, linking it back to TV, there's, there's time slots. You're like, you know, Cal and Stanford are not going to be liking having, you know, some of their home games at noon Eastern time every week uh, for football. They're going to want games at night, which means the ACC has got to get you, you know, got to be ready to say, Hey, yo, UNC, you're going out to play Cal, but that game's at 1030 Eastern time. So there's going to be, it may be a way for them to kind of extend the ACC day, but this is something that they're going to have to look at and really break down all of these games. Cause again, a lot of people are going to be very upset at ACC after dark when their basketball team is playing on the West coast and they're having to routinely watch their team play at nine 30, 10 30 at night. That's just not going to be, uh, it's going to take a long time to get used to. And it's going to be the source of a lot of complaints for all those people who may or may not have ESPN on their cable package. Yeah. And, and by the way, it's worth noting everyone who complains about this sort of travel thing, they, they, they should be aware that it's not, I don't think the, the huge burden here falls on the existing ACC teams. If you are, you know, if you're the Duke, what are, you know, field hockey team and suddenly Stanford and Cal might be added to your schedule. Like you said, that's probably one, maybe two West Coast trips the entire season. Honestly, I think a lot of these teams used to make a trip. You know, they 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 make long distance trips anyway because you want to play mm-hmm. a national schedule. The, the the folks who are really getting hurt with this are Stanford and Cal, who are going to have to come over to the East Coast or at least partly to the East Coast multiple times every year. And it, it and that's to me, uh, you know, a shame and that's a pity. But on the other hand, if you ask those athletes, they would probably tell you. We would rather be in a power conference. We'd rather be in a conference that matters like the ACC versus going independent or playing in the the WAC, the West Coast Conference, or one of those others, the Western Athletic Conference. I, 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 I think it's not a huge burden on the ACC schools. Uh, and, and then the last thing I wanted to mention, Donald, I went ahead and looked at travel distances just because I was like, gosh, I wonder... You know, I was sort of looking at the map and I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, uh, Boston, Boston College, member of the ACC to San Francisco is almost not quite. It was really close, almost as far as Boston to Dublin, Ireland. Mm-hmm. I was I was I was like, hmm, now that the AC, you know, maybe the ACC could have remained remained the Atlantic Coast Conference by adding the University of Dublin. <laughs> yeah, and it actually would have been almost it's like it's like maybe 100 miles it's really close to the same distance to get from boston all the way over to sanford and cal as it is to fly from boston to ireland i mean for me to from dc to fly to san francisco or to the west coast it's 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 a good six hours flying over now coming back is quicker but jason even that right like they're gonna have to invest in more facilities for recovery like yeah it may you're talking about Sure, you may have to do it once or twice in a season, but it's still time where, you know, players are going to have to figure out how to, you know, get ice baths or anything like that, right? Like all those yeah. little things that that all these different sports do to make sure that players recover in time to do all these games. And especially when it comes for baseball, yeah, actually, you know, Stanford baseball, usually pretty decent. Cal baseball, usually pretty decent. But they travel, they play, you know, 50, 60 times in like, a month and a half and then all of a sudden like <laughs> yeah. we're 
And then we're, we're in conference, conference, you know, tournament season. And then there's the postseason. So like that is going to, again, add to logistics. And those are things that really need to be figured out because yeah, it may not be where a lot is being added to the plate of the existing schools, but they're still going to have to do some extra travel. There's still going to be new places that they're going to Dallas is a huge airport. Terrific. But that doesn't mean that Dallas in February doesn't get ice storms that shut down the whole state because that happens every February, San Francisco, they have fog that will shut down SFO. Like those are little, again, big airport, but they're going to have to deal with some new travel challenges and everyone needs to be ready for that. Yeah. All right. Well, so we've given you our take on this, which is basically both Donald and I recognize their pluses and minuses here. I'm, I, my, my bottom line is I'm, I'm not upset that the ACC did this. I think that they had to do something to address some of the revenue shortfall and and I just I, I don't think it's going to have a hugely negative impact on the conference. I, I I am a little I'm a little bothered that that we got programs that appear at the moment to be not in great shape. This doesn't make the ACC better in football. This doesn't make the ACC better in basketball. You know, uh, if we could have taken our pick of the Pac-12, I wouldn't mind getting Arizona and Arizona State instead. That I think that would have been at least in basketball would have been a big plus, but. You know, you can't you can't get your choices every time. And and I think this was, in the end, a fairly good move for, for the ACC. All right, we're going to wrap it up there, Donald. Thanks for joining me. I'm Jason. Here is the Duke band to play us out and take us home. <laughs>